Alrighty, guys, welcome to episode 30 of MTG Radio. This is Trevor. And this is Tom. And Tom sounds a little frustrated. We've been having some technical difficulties. Uh, we tried to get one of our friends on the podcast, but Max don't seem to like PCs very much, so that didn't work out very well. It's because Max are pieces of shit. Okay, Tom, Tom, calm down. They're good for editing. They're good for, like, Photoshop and editing video and Okay, audio. okay. Okay, so Trevor, quick diatribe. Sure, Macs are great at editing, they're great at Photoshop, they're great at everything like that. They're sort of high on a level. They're like looking at PCs and going, unless you're going to buy a bunch of video cards, we kind of kick your ass. But that ad campaign starring Jake Long and that random fat guy that's supposed to be a PC is one of the most tripe-filled pieces of crap I've seen in a while. Not only is it talking down to everybody that's watching it, but it's also all like, hey, look, we're in front of a white background and we're awesome. It's such BS. I can't take it, and that's the only reason why I doubt I'll ever buy a Mac. Plus, they're really expensive. That, too. <laughs> uh, but, but granted, Windows isn't much better. Their counter campaign with Ama PC had a four-year-old making, like, an entire video document for her family about her fish. First off, I don't care how cute you are, no one wants to see a video document about your fish, unless it's a frickin' great white shark. And second of all, you can't do that, you stupid Asian four-year-old. Get off my TV. <laughs> Alright, enough about Tom's seething hatred for ad campaigns. <laughs> we're going to move on to magic now, and the first thing we're going to talk about is the reserved list. It got changed recently. Just a quick overview in case you haven't heard from uh, everyone else who's been talking about this. They're not reprinting anything on the reserve list ever again. It's set in stone, and they're never reprinting it. So what's been printed in Phyrexia versus the Coalition and what will be reprinted in From the Vault Relics, after that, no more reprints. No Judge Foils, no anything. So that's just in case you didn't hear, though I'm pretty sure most everyone has already heard. And we, Tom and I both have differing opinions on this, so I'll, I'll let Tom go first and he can talk about it. Well, um, I've... I haven't been a fan, but I haven't really minded the reserved and uh, banned list. Um, the fact that they're not reprinting stuff like the Power 9 is kind of a good thing. Um, when you look, even though, granted, Vintage and Legacy and the Eternal formats are getting all popular now, come on, guys, who really cares? When you're going into something like that, you know the barrier to entry. Don't even pretend you don't. And the fact that you want Wizards to try and help you out in making these things... Annoyed with being on the reserve list, among others, is the is the, like the the original dual lands. Are you really expecting Wizards to go out, print a set like from the Vault lands, and then sell it? First off, the MR, the MSRP for Wizards is thirty five dollars on all those. It's going to go to dealers to be sold for two hundred dollars, and then all the secondary prices are either going to tank or just level out at a little bit lower. So it's going to hurt all those people who have already collected those cards, and it's going to hurt the dealers themselves. So I'm fine with the revised list. Have old-ass cards. Do you know how much cooler it would be when you go to a garage sale and some old lady says, oh, those were my son's cards and I'm selling them, and you find, like, straight-up time twisters? That's ten times better than, oh, I could have gotten onto the bandwagon and bought it for $65. Like, I don't understand why you would want to reprint stuff off the reserve list. I don't understand why you would even want to abolish it. All right. See, my opinion, I'm kind of split down the middle with the with, when it comes to the reserve list because I'm trying to look at it from both points of view, as in collectors who have these cards and people who want to play Eternal formats. 
Now, I think Tom's being a little harsh on on Eternal players or people who want to get into that because you know there's going to be a barrier to entry, but when the barrier to entry is impossible to reach, because now the uh, old duels are going to go for an obscene amount of money, these formats, like, people are saying Legacy is going to go the way of Vintage, where it's just going to almost be unplayable unless you already have these cards. Now, at the same time, if I were a collector and I, like, paid good money for a lot of these cards, I wouldn't want Wizards to reprint them fearing that my cards, which are, you're kind of treating it like a stock at this point, are going to drop in value. Now, like I said, I, I personally don't own any of the, or don't own many, if any, of the cards on the reserved list. So, I, I lean towards, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I definitely want old duels, I would love to have those kind of cards. But, it, but uh, it's really hard for me to make a decision if I had, like, a set of the old duels, I don't know if my opinion would be different. So it's kind of it's I'm I'm in an unfair position to make that decision, uh, so I really really don't know, but I do think one thing that I am very certain on is that before they just closed the book on this and made it so they could never print any of these cards again, they really probably should have revised the reserved list. There are cards on here yeah. that like don't do anything. <laughs> like it's not even like that they're really expensive or really awesome. But they're really good for cards for uh, formats like EDH. One example that I think is perfect is Winding Canyons. Winding Canyons goes from $0.75 cents to about $2, depending on where you get it. It's from Weatherlight. Tap, add a colorless mana to your mana pool. Tap two, tap. Until end of turn, you may play creatures uh, whenever you can play instants. That card is awesome. It's really great in EDH and for casual players, and it wouldn't hurt pretty much anyone if it saw reprinting. But now they're going to have to reprint. Like they, I, I don't understand that part of it. I understand not being able to reprint or not wanting to reprint the really, really expensive, highly collectible cards. Whether I agree with that or not is still to be determined. But yeah. when it comes to cards like Winding Canyon, it's like, come on. Throw the EDH players a bone here. Like Let them have these kind of fun cards that really no one, no collector cares about. Yeah, I think... They were definitely too hasty with the decision to just blankly say, no, we're not reprinting them. Kind of a stupid idea. Definitely could revise the revise list. The, sorry, could have revised the reserve list. Uh, it would have been a simple thing to do. Um, there, I don't know. I, I, I'm really glad they took this stance. It eliminates a lot of questions. Like, there's no more questions like, I don't know, are they reprinting Candelabra of Thanos and stuff like that, or Tabernacle of Pendril Veil. Like, there's cards that are going for $300, because if everyone had one, the deck would be ridiculous. How many times do you want to see a 36 land that thirty six land deck that drops a, a Tabernacle of Pendril Veil? That card costs $300 for a reason. It's because first, everybody thought it was a piece of crap, and they picked their teeth with it, and then the people that saved them are really happy at about now. Like, I'm, I'm glad people are able to secure investments in cars like this nowadays because Wizards promise they will not reprint any of these. And if they, like, if they go back on this statement, it'd be one of the rare times I'd actually be mad at Wizards of the Coast. See, because a lot of people are saying... One thing that comes into question with this is they can't reprint the old duels. So what if they reprint snow duels? Or print snow duels. Like, snow-covered... Tropical Island, or something like that. that I sure. Mean, but you, you say sure, but at the same time, that would devalue the old duels. And the barrier to entry is already really high. You have to have, like, for Legacy, say, you have to have the old duels for some decks. 
Not all of them, necessarily. If they print snow duels, which would be legal in Legacy, Legacy players would not have... They would just... They would have, like, a beyond perfect mana bases. Because Legacy <laughs> players that have the old duels would also get the snow duels, and it would be obnoxious. And people who want to get into Legacy would have the snow duels. I understand what you're saying here, Trev, but I think being able to, like, print variations of stuff on the reserve list, sure. I'm not going to care. That's Wizards' prerogative. I mean, any day now, they could, pr- they could print the best card in the world that everyone has to play, Baneslayer or Tarmogoyf, and we can't do shit about it. But to say that there are cards that they're not going to print because either A, they were too powerful. Alright, Tom, you, you chose to? Tom, you cut out there. We know. got to A, and then <laughs> I didn't hear right. Whatever. Who cares? I think we're totally done with the stupid reserve list. I mean, we're EDH, we're not reserve list. Well, I mean... Are we, Trev? The reason why I brought it up is definitely just because of the cards that are good for EDH on it. And I do want to talk about one more thing before we wrap this up. Just something to think about. Because you're saying that the cards that are on here are too good to reprint? I'm saying some Some are. Some definitely are. I'm saying some are completely stupid, like they don't even matter, and that some don't even interact with the game anymore. There's like cards that just exile everything from antiquities. It's like, okay, thanks. No, but I mean... Or you can't play anything from Arabian Nights. (laughs) Uh, yeah, let's reprint that card. But I mean, like like the Dual Lands, for instance, because that's really what this boils down to, in a sense, is the Dual Lands. Those are too good to reprint. Because of their collector value, and because that, like, basically because of collector value, because people are assured that they're going to cost this much money, right? Like, that's one uh, of the stances you have? I, I wouldn't say the dual lands are too good to reprint. I think they're a great card. They're definitely one of the best cards made. I'm talking about the Power 9 is too good to reprint. See, I don't the dual think, lands... I don't think they would ever reprint the Power 9. Like, of that, course, that's obnoxious. The power nine. But, Kinda. but now they can't reprint the dual lands... And if they reprint something similar to the dual lands, the collectors are going to get more upset because the reverse list is solid. Why would they do that? So I think it's wizards put themselves in a lot of a bind here, putting like just stomping down on this decision. I don't know. I guess we just have to find awesome different kinds of dual lands for years to come. I mean, if anything, it just gives wizards a better chance to exercise their muscle. If they can find, if they can make a dual land that's better than the originals, like think about it that way. That'd be like some great designing right there. I mean, sure, snow duels is kind of just that exact thing, but still. But no, snow duels <laughs> is just kind of being lazy more than anything. It's yeah, just the first we're just gonna add. Them. Yeah, it's adding a word. We're just going to add snow to it and phasing six, and we'll be good. <laughs> and banding. So, yes. Bands with legends. There you go. <laughs> no, bands with other land. Uh, we're going to move on now because, like Tom said, we're not really focused on the reserve list. But even though we are or try to focus on EDH, there is one thing that I wanted to talk about in particular, and I know Tom's excited about it too, and that's the um, Star City Orlando Open. So, uh, Tom is in the Tampa area, I'm in the Orlando area, and we're both going to the Star City Orlando Open, as well as the free $500 F&M at Cool Stuff's on Friday night beforehand. So, I don't know if any of y'all who listen live in this area or go to Cool Stuff games. If you do, A, say hi to me. Uh, I'm, I'm usually occasionally there on Friday nights, and we'll be there on Friday for the $500 F&M. 
It's it's free mm-hmm. entry. Like you don't have to pay anything to play an FNM, which is great. But we'll put the links for both of these events in the in the show notes. But we're just gonna quickly talk about because uh, I don't know about Tom, but I really I'm not trying to keep my deck a secret. I, I'm not that kind of player. I really don't care. Even though my deck gets crushed if they sideboard in a few cards against me. <laughs> uh, we're just gonna briefly talk about what decks we're playing in standard and a deck that I built for Sally to play on Friday night. So I'll let Tom go first. Alright, so uh, my deck is simple. I've, I don't know, I, I think we mentioned this in the beginning of the cast, but haven't since. Um, I love Red Deck Wins. I think it's one of the best decks ever made, just because it's so much fun to play, and it's a little bit more instrumental than people give it credit for. So um, I was thinking playing Red-White uh, just for longevity. Um, it's, a, it's a fairly simple deck. Uh, it plays four Lightning Bolts. Four Searing Blaze, four, vo- four Volcanic Fallouts, four Burst Lightning as the burst as the uh, burn package. Then you have four Goblin Guides, four Health Spark Elementals, um, and uh, wait for it, uh, two Ranger Ranger Vios and four Goblin Bushwhackers. And then your Planeswalker package is two Chandra Nalars and two Vengeance. Um, the Chandras and Vengeance are basically there to control Baneslayer Angel. <laughs> um, the deck works really, really, really well. Uh, I can't tell you how many times going first Goblin, uh, the, guide. that guy, Goblin Guide, goblin guide second turn uh, Hellspark, then third turn being able to just swing in with Goblin Guide and Searing Blaze something out of the way and bolt them to the face, and then fourth turn, just it. the deck's ridiculous if it works. It's ridiculous even if it doesn't work. There's hands I've gotten with this deck that's just all burn, and you just get to sort of sit back there and go, I wonder what I get to kill today. It's kind of fun. I mean, it, it's kind of similar to the Barely Boros list, so it, it's very Tom to play it. <laughs> like you said, he really liked Red Deck Wins. And um, so, Tom, should well, we talk about... Oh, go ahead. Well, to be honest, I was deciding this or a uh, Tribal Goblins list to bring, which is kind of different. Instead of the Hell Sparks and the Volcanic Fallouts... You have four Siege Game Commanders, and you have four of the Goblin Chieftains, but you're still playing the Ranger Vioses, and you're still splashing the White for Vengeance, and the same Burn Package, and it also works just as well. It gives you a better late game, but your early game isn't as good. It's it's a lot... It's definitely different. Uh, that, that deck also sometimes decides whether or not to like you. <laughs> it really does. Uh, you also have... You're gonna have to First say good that. and all? Nope, you're going to have to say that again because you cut out. Okay, you're going to have to decide whether or not to play Goblin Shortcutter. Shortcutter is good and all, but it's a 2-1. Um, any deck is just going to look at the 2-1 and go blah, blah, blah. It's also um, a lot less resilient to vampires because um, you can just play... Yeah, it dies to vampires really simply, which is annoying. So... That's why I like this list. I love being able to play instant creatures that hit and then go away so that your opponent's just sort of like, oh, well, I guess my gatekeeper doesn't mean crap. <laughs> and it just, it, this deck happens to win out of nowhere. A Ranger of Vios could set you into the best hand ever and you just win. It's very not resilient to Turbo Fog. Yeah. <laughs> Turbo Fog there. This deck loses. Unless it, unless it lets you draw stuff because then you just burn them in the face all day. Yeah. Uh, my deck actually probably... No, it, it does. It loses to Tom's deck, generally. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about my deck first, and then get on to Sally's silly deck for uh, the FNM. 
My deck for FNM and for the Star City Open is Open the Vaults. Or Open the Filigree. I played it last week, or, well, technically two days ago, and it's a blast to play. It's really cheap to put together. I haven't come across, I mean, I don't play Colonnades because I don't have them. I would if I did. And I play Filigree Angels instead of Sphinx of Steelwind. So the, the, the cards in the deck aren't very expensive. It's my own little list. In case you don't know what, op- what Open the Vaults or Open the Filigree does, you play the Cyclers, so Architects of Will and... Uh, wow, what's his name? The other one. I can't think of it. Hold on one second. I feel so dumb. Glass Dust Kulk. All right. You play... You cycle them your first few turns. You play a lot of cantrip, air quote type spells, such as Spreading Seas and... Uh, Courier's Capsule. And then when you get to turn six... Oh, also, sorry, another key card in the deck is Sphinx of Lost Truths, which you never or rarely ever kick. You just play it, draw three, and then discard, like, Filigree Angel, Filigree Angel O-Ring or something, but that's obnoxious. But you try to do that. And then the turn after, you play another land and open the bolts. When Filigree Angel comes into play, you gain three life for each artifact you control. I've gained upwards of hundreds of life with this deck. And... I, was, I actually did it against Red Deck Wins in Game 2 on Friday and beat him, but usually against Red Deck Wins, you just lose. You, because he beat in Game 3, he beat me a turn before I would have gone off, which is exactly what happens. The deck is really fun, and that's why I like it. It's kind of a combo deck, and I got entirely bored of playing White Weenie. <laughs> I just... It was not fun anymore. It was so boring. Land, Kabira, land... Azul, okay, this is just, it was, it got really frustratingly boring to play. So, that's the deck that I'm playing, that's Open the Vault, and I have one more thing to talk about, and that's Sally's deck. If you guys follow us on Twitter, I've been tweeting about building a 100-card Singleton standard deck, and we did. (laughs) We We were really bored yesterday. The deck is Naya, and it plays the oddest assortment of cards ever. Uh, Gigantiform, Battle Grace Angel, Bestial Menace, Predatory Advantage. It's I'm I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna say it's good because it's not. But when you're playing it, when you're playing this deck, a hundred card singleton deck in standard, you're just playing to have a good time first of all, and you do things like resolve Kazul Tyrant of the Cliffs, and then hopefully cross your fingers, play Gigantiform on it. Okay. It doesn't mean you're going to win. They could have a Doomblade. They could they could Doomblade you in response to you playing Gigantiform, and you would just get blown out. But the deck is fun. It is... Okay, it plays Pale Recluse and Valley Ran it, so you can basic land cycle. And it it's just a good time. I, there, I was playing against um, Sally. He was using a Vampire... Or Vampires with Lightning list that we kind of just threw together, so it wasn't a good deck that we were playing against. And I, resi- I resolved Keeper of Progenitus. Uh, let me just find it so I can read exactly how it's worded. It's a three and a green for a 1-3 Elf Druid. Whenever a player taps a mountain, forest, or plains for mana, that player adds one mana to his mana pool of any, uh, of any type that land could produce. Then I pass the turn. He doesn't have a burn spell, so we couldn't get rid of the Keeper. He goes Blightning. I discard two cards. On my turn, I play Comet Storm. I didn't win. I lost that game, but I, I played Comet Storm with Keeper of Progenitus out. So that's 
that's one of the reasons why we built this deck. It's strictly for fun. Whoever plays against it's probably essentially getting a buy, but it's still it's it's a good time to play. And and you can Jedi mind tricks the hell out of someone because they have no idea what to do against you when it comes to sideboarding, or when it comes to you being blightning. Like they see you discard cards and they have it's just it's really silly and a good time. So if you're if you're at cool stuffs on Friday and you see someone playing a, an obnoxious sized deck, it's probably Sally. There you go. Oh yeah. So that's that's that. Um, if you guys see us at Cool Stuffs or the Star City Open, uh, say hi. I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm going to be the only one playing Open the Vaults. So if you play against me, good luck. But yeah, um, that's about all for standard decks. I mean, normally it's not something we discuss very much, but. We figured we'd talk about it because we are going to the Star City Open and the FNM. So next, it's it's important to us. Yes, it is very important to us. Um, Tom, do you want to talk about our general of the week? I do, and I'm really sure the only reason we picked this general is to talk about the mana days that goes with it, and it's Karn Silver Golem. Indeed, it is. Do you want to tell what he does, or do you want me to do it? I have him up. But I'm pretty sure I can just type Karn into Gather, and it'll just pop him up. Uh, yeah, Karn is a 5-mana artifact, legendary artifact creature. He's a 4-4. Whenever Karn's Silver Golems uh, blocks or becomes blocked, it gets minus 4 plus 4 until end of turn. So it becomes a 0-8. Tap 1, target non-artifact But then the best... Yeah, go ahead, Tom. But then the... Uh, that part's not very exciting. It becomes a 0-8 whenever, whenever an opponent blocks. That kind of sucks. Or when he blocks. The second part's great. For 1 mana, 1 colorless mana, of course... Target non-creature artifact becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness, each equal to its converted mana cost until end of turn. Yeah, that is really That's good. It's it's March of Machines, but one at a time, until end of turn. Oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of cards that go into this deck. Um, there's stuff like Scarecrone, which is a card from Eventide that no one remembers. Um, it's three for an artifact creature, Scarecrow. For one, you can sacrifice a Scarecrow and draw a card. But for four and a tap, you can return target artifact creature card from your graveyard to play. It's a one-two. It's kind of good. Uh, it's great in a artifact-dense EDH deck, like this one will definitely be. Um, you can turn this one into a Ravager deck if you want to. Uh, play a lot of affinity cards that are colorless. Um, but again, we, we had trouble talking about the mana base for a deck like this, and so... I kind of went out of my way to uh, basically get one up. I looked through every single land that Magic has. Let's put it like that. And um, I came with I came up with a, what I feel a pretty comprehensive list of the lands. So, Trevor, is there anything you feel should go into the Karn EDH deck or any specific lands that you wish to play? Well, I'm going to talk about one particular card for the deck. It's not something. It's not anything spectacular. And it's not Urza Sunglasses, which is a cool card. Um, or, yeah. Uh, the, the card that I want to talk about, and then I'll get to a land. The card is Darksteel Ignit. I'm saying that wrong. Hang on one sec. No, you're not. Darksteel Ignit. That's, that's how it's spelled. I, it's I-N-G-O-T, but it's, it's pronounced Ingot. Or Ignot. Tr- Kevin says Ignot, and that's completely incorrect. It's... Three for an artifact. It's a common for dark steel. It's, it's indestructible. And it has tap. Add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Correct. Yes, it does. All right. 
So with Karn, um, you can make this guy or this artifact a three-three that's indestructible for one mana. Yep. Don't don't do it with ever flying chalice, guys, because that's a zero-zero that dies. Yeah, sounds like a bad idea to do it with ever throwing chalice. Um, one card, one land that I wanted to talk about for a colorless deck is Winding Canyons. I mentioned it earlier. It's um. My, my obsession with this card is from Brian because of the uh, he's from the Avant Card Show podcast. We played we were playing a game and we had uh, upwelling. Someone had upwelling out, and I played evacuation. He had a bunch of mana floating. I didn't realize he had winding canyons because he was sitting so far away from me. And he goes okay. At the end of his turn, he pays two, taps winding canyons, and then drops his hand back down. I was kind of upset, <laughs> but it's a colorless land and it makes all, it can make all of your creatures in your hand have flash, which is really, really awesome. But I know Tom did a lot of research when it comes to colorless mana bases, so I'll let him get to that. Okay, so I think one of my favorite parts about having a completely colorless mana base is you get a surprisingly large amount of things that... of lands that produce creatures and lands that become creatures themselves. Uh, You have two of the now staple man lands, uh, Dreads, uh, Mutavault, and Mishra's Factory. But you also get some Dread Statuary action in there. Um, for those that don't know, of course, Mutavault is, was a breakout card from Morning Tide. It's a rare land that has tapped to add one to your mana pool. Or you can pay one, and Mutavault becomes a 2-2 creature with all creature types until end of turn is still a land. Um, the other one that I speak of is a, I don't know, I'd say probably one of the most known cards uh, it's Mishra's Factory. It's it, it was recently re it was put into Masters Edition, but it's from Antiquities, and it's a it's a land that has tap tad one to your mana pool, and for one, Mishra's Factory becomes a two two Assembly Worker artifact creature until end of turn. It's still a land, and you can tap it and target Assembly Worker creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. A lot of people's favorite thing to do with Mishra's Factory, in case you don't know, is to pay one to make it a two two. Block something that's a 2-2, two, two, tap it to give itself plus 1, plus 1, and then you have a 3-3 three, three man land. Um, it's a great card. And then, Trevor, you know what Dread Statuary is, right? Yeah, Dread Statuary is the one from uh, World Wake, right? Yep. Okay, yeah, it's um, colorless. It costs, or doesn't cost. You tap to add one colorless to your mana pool. And uh, yep. it's a man land. Four mana, tap, or not tap, four mana, it becomes a 4-2 until end of turn. Uh, I, I I was always a fan of it. I just pulled a uh, a foil one, so I had fun. Um, Petrified Field. Uh, this is a card. Yeah, that not many people know of. It's a rare from Odyssey. It costs like fifty cents, but it's it could become instrumental in this deck if you want to get back uh, your man lands. It comes into play untapped, and it taps to add one to your mana pool, which is great. You can tap to sack Petrified Field. Return target land card from your graveyard to your hand. See, like, that's a card that I would I would put Crucible of Worlds in my deck because of that card. Haha, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's cool, although you're returning lands from your graveyard to your hand and then Crucible lets you play. That's still cool. Still cool. I like it. Def- it's definitely a cool card. I've always been a fan. Um, a card that I'm pretty sure a lot of people already play with, but... uh. Might not know yet is a card from Saviors of Kamigawa. This is a legendary land called Mirin the Moaning Well. 
You know this does, right, Trev? Um, I don't know its cost and stuff off the top of my head, so I'll let you take care of it. All right, so you can tap to add a colorless to your mana pool, or for three in a tap, sacrifice a creature. You gain life equal to the sacrifice creature's toughness. Works for me. I know, right? It's a definitely a good card. Yeah, sacrifice effects uh, are really good. So when it's on the land, it becomes that much better. Yeah, I was gonna suggest Diamond Valley. But that card's going for 70 bucks, so maybe not. <laughs> uh, did you talk about Darksteel Citadel? I have not talked about Darksteel Citadel. That's all you, man. All right, Darksteel Citadel is a common from Darksteel. It's indestructible, and it taps for colorless. I mean... It's it's simple, but it's good. Yeah, oh, I'm going to check one thing on Darksteel Citadel, though. All right, so... um. Still speaking on the manlands, though, I know a lot of people know them, but they're still there. They're all included. Stalking Stones is one of the favorites. It taps add one, or for six, it becomes a 3-3 artifact creature forever. Uh, Urza's Factory, this is from, I believe, Time Spiral. You can pay seven, tap it to put a 2-2 assembly worker into play. Zoetic Cavern, this is from Plane Shift. Is that right? Plane Shift? Planner Chaos. From Planner Chaos... <laughs> Uh, shut up, Trevor. From Planet of Chaos, it's the only land with Morph on it. Um, but yeah, you can put it down as a 2-2 creature in case you don't need a land. Uh, Blink Moth Nexus. This is a card that's in Red Deck Wins. Uh, um, hang on one sec. Dark, uh, Zoetic Cavern is from Future Sight. Sorry, Future Sight. That's why Sight. the card frame looks so weird. And one, Blink other, thing, one other thing, Darksteel Citadel. Uh, in case they're wondering, artifact. It's, it is an artifact land, which is cool. And the artist by John Avon, so it should automatically be in any deck ever. That's completely true. <laughs> so, Blink Moth Nexus, it taps add one to your mana pool. You can pay one, it becomes a 1-1 Blink Moth artifact creature with flying until end of turn. It's still a land. And you can pay one, tap it, target Blink Moth gets plus two, plus two until end of t plus one, plus one until end of turn. Um, Red Deck wins. Uh, the Vintage deck uses this so that it's easier to play Shrapnel Blast. So Shrapnel Blast basically says, pay three, sacrifice your Blink Moth Nexus, and deal five damage to somebody's face. Hmm. So, definitely one of the one of the better man lands. Uh, Gargoyle Castle just came out in M10. Uh, taps for a colorless mana, just as all these other cards do. I made sure. And um, it taps for a colorless mana. You can pay five, tap it, sack it, put a three, four Gargoyle into play. And then... One of the cards that gave me one of my best and funniest experiences in Magic is Springjack Pasture. Hmm. So we were sitting around, uh, I, I guess we had just gotten, no, this was for a draft of Eventide. And um, I think this was even at the pre-release. And uh, people were joking about what Pasture is and ha 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 So I'm sitting there and I get and I open this pack. And I look at my, and I'm looking for the foil rare, because I'm like, oh god, there's a foil rare, this is awesome, what if I get a foil, um, figure of destiny, and I look, and it's a Springjack Pasture, and I'm like, oh, I guess it could be worse, my rare could be Springjack Pasture, and my rare was Springjack Pasture, and I immediately laughed and cried. You took <laughs> the foil sucked, one, didn't you? Oh yeah, I took the foil one. I have a foil Springjack Pasture. You're a <laughs> Hey, it's it's one of my it's one of the my favorite thing that's ever happened in Magic. The fact that I was able to pull a foil Springjack Pasture and a regular Springjack Pasture. There there is a uh, triplet of lands in this deck 
that pretty much everybody knows by a specific name, and it is the... Thundercats? I'm kidding. Urzatron. <laughs> Urzatron! All right, Trevor. Describe the Urzatron to all these nice, nice, nice people. Alrighty. Um, hang on one sec, because I have them, but I, I know they tap for different... Uh, do you have them up, Tom? I'll talk, I'll talk about Blasted Landscape while you're looking for Urzatron, okay? All right, works for me. Alright, so Blasted Landscape was uh, uncommon from Urza Saga. It's a land, taps for one colorless mana, or it cycles for two. Uh, that's great. I've always liked this card, and it's finally nice that it has a land that has a place to sit in. Um, hey, Trev, you got Urzatron up? Yes, I do. Sorry about that. It normally doesn't take me that long, but I thought Tom had the cards he was talking about up. I really... I'm unprepared, we're going to say. Um, Urza's Power Plant, it's land, Urza's Power Plant. Tap to add one colorless to your mana pool. If you control an Urza's Mine and an Urza's Tower, tap to add two instead. Urza's Tower is land, Urza's Tower. Tap to add one mana to your, one colorless to your mana pool. If you control Urza's Mine and Urza's Power Plant, this one makes three. And then Urza's Mine, uh, tap to add one. If you control the other two, it adds two colorless instead. So, in case anyone is wondering, so that's what those do. So it's good. Uh, I think the last... Two I sort of want to talk about is uh, one of them's. I'm not going to say a staple, but it's a good card. It's Cloud Post. A lot of people love playing this in fours, but sadly you can only play this in ones. It enters the battlefield tapped, and you can tap to add one to your mana pool for each locus on the battlefield. This interacts really well with both Mutavault. Hey, look at that! It's a changeling. And Vesuva. Uh, Vesuva is a card from. Time Spiral? It's... Yeah, it's from Time Spiral. I got it right. Take that. It's a land. As Vesuva comes into play, you may choose a land in play. If you do, Vesuva comes into play tapped as a copy of the chosen land. So Vesuva can come into play as a copy of Cloudpost, which Cloudpost is a locust land, so they're both locuses, and they both end up tapping for two. Yeah. So, in the end, if you're lucky and you get a hand with Vesuva, Cloudpost, and uh, Mutavault... Hey, Tom... It doesn't look like Mutavolt. You can tap right Huh? Mutavolt becomes a changeling, but it's a creature. Locust isn't a creature type. It's a land type. But locust still counts. You can have locusts mm. as a creature, I would assume. No, I... And we get to look up changeling. I, I don't think it works, because it's it's a land locust. Th honestly, this is, this is a rules question that I've never even seen before. But I don't think it works, because locust is a land type... L-O-C-U-S is a land type, and Mutavolt becomes a changeling creature. And changeling, the keyword it means this card is every creature type at all times. Right, it has every creature type, but land types aren't creature types. Well, I guess there's only one way to solve this. Let's see if there's any locuses that are creatures. L-O-C-U-S. Lo like the... Oh, close. Omnath is the locus of mana, but he's not a locus himself. Okay, so that will not work. No? That will not work, which makes me sad. Yeah. Um, I did want to talk about one more card. I don't know if Tom talked about it. Did you talk about Urza's Factory? Uh, yep. Okay, do you know why Urza's Factory costs 7 to make an assembly worker? Why does it cost 7? Because that's how much you oh. That's how much you get when you have Urzatron out. That is awesome. If you have Urzatron and you tap them for 7, and then you tap her, you can get the 2-2 assembly worker. So, synergy. It makes sense. Yay. Yeah. Also... 
the last card, which is probably going to be important in this deck, especially if you want to shift this mana base over to playing Kozilek, is the Temple of the False God. It is to tap to add two to your mana pool. Play this ability only if you control five or more lands. Uh, this card can singularly mana screw you, if necessary. But, um, trust me, more than likely you're going to have enough lands. Um, I think it's a, one of my favorites. By the way, you can play all the panoramas. Yes. Just putting that out there. Yes. That's, uh, that's definitely in the deck. <laughs> I also have one other card to talk about. Because um, you were talking about transferring this from Karn to I, uh, to Eldrazi. Kozilek or whichever legendary Eldrazi you might choose. And if that's the case, then Eye of Ugin... It's kind of the perfect card. I mean, even if you're not... Even if it's a Karn deck, you can still play Eye of Ugin and use it to search for colorless creatures. That's also a very good point with Ivugan, especially if you have the Urzatron out. Yeah. Then you just get to get colorless creatures. Yep. So I mean, it, it's another it's another uh, good land for EDH, especially once Rise comes out, and we'll see how obnoxious these Eldrazi actually are. Yeah, there's that, and of course, um, if you're playing a mana base like this, sometimes you just want certain lands, and for that. I can't suggest Expedition Map enough again. This is an artifact. It's a common from Zendikar. You should have one if you've been playing recently. It costs one. You can pay two to tap it. Sacrifice Expedition Map. Search your library for a land card and reveal it. Then put it into your hand and shuffle your library. It's great land searching. Um, warning, please don't try and play Journeyer's Kite or anything else that searches basic lands in this deck because you can't play them. I would like to thank the Watchman, Mr. Suitcase. He commented on our last episode with a, a link to Gatherer with all of the colorless-producing lands. So, shout-out to you. Uh, it really does help. It's really awesome. And the link is in the comments of the last episode. I, I'm not going to read it because it's one of those crazy links with all of the question marks and whatnot. But if you go over there, you'd have to highlight it and paste it um, because it looks like the link broke on the comments. But yeah. it is there, and you can look. Because colorless mana bases are not the easiest thing to build. No, this the mana base that I just read to you right now is about 30 or more. Um, there's stuff I didn't I didn't say, stuff like Maze of Ith. Um, but uh, we'll definitely have the colorless mana base up in the show notes. Uh, you can yell at us if there's cards that you think should be in there that aren't in there. There are some crazy expensive cards I didn't put in here, i.e. Diamond Valley. But, uh... But, um... Yeah, you cut out there after you said Diamond Valley. You said, but, um, and it sounded oh. like a drum roll, and then you just stopped talking. It was like, but, um... And I was kind of upset. It was rather anticlimactic. Anyways, so, we didn't put in Diamond Valley. Kind of cost 70 bucks. There's cards that cost a lot that we didn't put in, because we don't have the money, and we kind of don't expect you to. I mean, if you do, go for it, but... Tom and I kind of try to keep the cards we recommend in the price range that we're willing to spend. Yeah, like, uh, if you don't mind, Trevor, uh, can I just do one little hidden gem that I'm so surprised I'm not even playing? Go ahead. Alright, so, this is a card from Shadowmore, and I used it in draft once or twice, but I never realized how great it would just be in a good old red-black deck. This is Torrent of Souls. Mm -hmm. It costs four red-black hybrid. It's an uncommon from Shadowmoor. Sorcery. 
return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to play if black was spent to play Torn of Souls. Creatures target player controls get plus two plus oh and gain haste until end of turn if red was spent to play Torn of Souls. So, if you basically play red, black, three, you get a creature card from your graveyard into play, and then you, all your creatures get plus two plus oh and haste. That's really this card I... is... Go ahead. It's, yeah, it's really great in EDH. You get to get back a threat that your opponent thought was dead. You get to give all your creatures plus two plus oh, and it gets haste and smacks them in the face. You know what so when your opponent... With? What's it really good with? Siege game. And it's really good with Siege Gang Commander. Hmm. I'll get my Siege Gang back, and all of my tokens and my Siege Gang will get huge and obnoxious, and I'll throw them at your face. Sure, attack with you, and then throw them at your face. Yeah, I think it's great. I've always been a fan, and it's I'm like trying not to grab my Thraxi deck and putting it in right now, because <laughs> that would be loud. Yeah, Um, I don't know about you, but I think that covers what we had to talk about. I do want to remind all of our listeners that we have the contest. And you can throw your submissions up. Uh, it can either just be a text submission. You could do it on a set editor and submit it that way. Remember, if you don't know, the contest is to create a colorless EDH uh, general, or legendary creature, uh, with the art of Pathraiser of Ulamog. So it's Pathraiser's art, but he has to, it has to be a legend. It can't be the same card, and it has to be a good EDH general. So... Maybe you could have an interaction with one of the lands that we mentioned, besides Ibugan, obviously, because being in Eldrazi, it has synergy with that land. And the contest ends April 11th, so all the submissions will get in by then, and then the following podcast, we'll have the winners announced. First place gets two packs of World Wake, uh, second place gets a pack of World Wake, and third place gets our love and admiration. So, also, one last thing that I wanted to announce is, uh, next episode is episode 31, which is awesome, it's just a a regular old episode. But episode 32, um, you guys, let's just, we'll keep it a little bit under wraps for now. If you listen to our older episodes, you'll know, or you might know, because we kind of said it is a joke, but it looks like the joke may become reality, or will become reality, and, uh, kind of just a little bit of a teaser for that. So, stay tuned for that one, and we hope you all enjoy. Yeah, we, we might, we might actually be challenging the mana pool and something. Oh yeah, that's that's that that is a very good hint. That's good, Tom. Do you have anything else to add before we wrap this podcast up? Yeah, little four-year-old Asian kids can't make video messages about their fish. That you totally just from the beginning wrapped it. You know, that's in in literary terms. That is called a circular ending. It's that's like, nice. I'm also not a sexist. Let's bring another. Let's bring another episodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, Tom, you are. But you. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened to you. You were so awesome, and then you got on this PC rant, and just it, it was all downhill from there. Anyways, for episode thirty of MTG Radio, this has been Tom and Trevor, and thanks for tuning in. <laughs>